Hi and welcome to the Church Unlimited podcast. Church Unlimited is a vibrant, Bible-based church in North Lakes, Queensland that is passionate about helping people discover the genuine love of Jesus. If you are currently looking for a new home church, we'd love for you to join us for Sunday worship at either our 10am or 4pm service. For more information about our Sunday service or to find out how we can best help you, head to our website at churchunlimited.com.au. We hope you enjoy this great message from Sunday service. So I want to I start dealing with the question, where does the church go from here? So this message was a result of two converging things. The top question I was being asked is, Shane, where does the church go from here? And I was studying to finish my series on the book of Revelation by looking at the letters to the seven churches. And what I found was, was that Jesus's advice to the seven churches is incredibly relevant for where the church needs to go from here. And this is just one of those aspects. So my goal today is to help put some language around one of those areas. The other seven are out there. Right, but to put to put language around one of those areas. So if you're like going to be a part of Church Unlimited, and you're wondering why don't we talk about this more? Why do we talk about this so much? Or why is James not interested in this? And why is the team less interested in this and more interested? I want to put some language around that because we have a very rare once in a hundred year opportunity standing in front of us. I'll explain that in a second. So let's look at the scripture. And this is Revelation chapter 2. This is the letter to the seven churches. And we're just going to look at the one to Ephesus today and see where we find ourselves. This is Revelation chapter 2 verse 1. To the angel of the church at Ephesus, write this. Now, Jesus, through John, is writing a letter to this church at Ephesus. What I want to do is I want to give you a brief history of Ephesus. Because what we're going to find is that in the letters, Jesus is speaking specifically to seven specific places at specific moments at specific times and using different language because different things were going on in those places. So let's see where this takes us. Next slide. So there's this guy named John. He's exiled on the island of Patmos by a a Caesar named Domitian. We'll get to that in just a second. He was supposedly, they tried to execute him by boiling him in oil, and folklore tells us he survived it. The idea is is that you don't want to try to kill someone twice, because if they survive twice, people will think God's on their side, so you just want him away from you. So they exile him on the island of Patmos, and he writes these letters to seven churches. And there's nothing really particularly important about the order. If you look at the mail route of the day, he just follows the mail route, okay? That's all that's going on there. John's in his 70s. He's been following Jesus since he was a teenager. So 60 years after Jesus has ascended, he's still speaking into people's right now. And that's really, really important that we don't relegate Jesus to a character from the past. Even if you've gone past, he's not just a story. He was an actual person. It's still one step further to say he, di- he didn't, he's not relegated to something 2,000 years ago. Rather, he's speaking into our right now. So he's changing lives right now. And this letter follows the pattern of all the letters to the seven churches. Next slide. Let's see where this takes us. So that he commends them for what they're doing that brings life. That's the first thing he does with all the letters. Then he corrects them for what they're doing that brings death. So he's like, guys, I love this about you. Keep doing this, but you got to cut that stuff out, right? This right here brings death. We got to cut that out. But then he always offers restoration for the consenting wise. Even in Laodicea, where it's like really, really in your face. Like when I look at your life and particularly how you think about money, it makes me want to vomit, right? Even even that letter, he says, but I stand at the door and knock. And if you want to open the door, I'd love to eat with you. And let's get this thing sorted out. There's never this banishing. There's never this shaming. There's never any of that stuff, which leads me to Ephesus. Next slide. So let's talk about Ephesus. Ephesus was very important. It was the center of mercantilism of the day. Think New York, Singapore, 
Hong Kong, right? Paul started a church there, and he handed it to Timothy uh, to run. Uh, so so the, the central marketplace of the whole world uh, today is Wall Street, or the, 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 the market in Hong Kong. Uh, the, back then, it was the Agora. The Agora was the central marketplace in Ephesus. The reason is, is because Ephesus was very accessible by land or by sea. So you could come from the east, China, India, places like that, or you could come from the west, which back then was France, Spain, places like that. And you could come to the Agora in Ephesus, you could buy, sell, and trade, and then you'd go back to your homeland in order to resell that stuff for a profit. It was the center of the whole thing. Next slide. Here was the problem with this. In the Roman Empire, you had one world government with one world leader who said he was God in flesh, and there was only one world currency, and they were able to manipulate the currency in order to oppress people who wouldn't call him God. So here's what they did. Outside of the Agora, Caesar Domitian built a temple to himself. He actually built four, four ecclesias, churches, to his own honor, and he made a rule. Before you could buy and sell, you had to come to one of his ecclesias and give an offering of money and of incense to the gods, and in particular, Caesar. Now, the question is, how did they know who did that and who didn't? Well, what they did is, is every morning and every night, they killed a bull in honor of Caesar. They would slit the bull's throat, and then they would burn the bull into ashes. It was called the ashes of the red heifer. And then what they would do is they would mix the ashes of the heifer with a paste, and then once you gave your offering to Caesar as the son of God or as God in flesh, they would mark your hand or your forehead with this paste from the ash, and it was called taking the mark. That allowed you to then buy and sell, all right? So the Jews had a nickname for Domitian. They called him the beast who comes from land and sea. We'll get to that in a second. So from 70 AD to 92 AD in the Roman Empire, before you could buy and sell, you first had to take the mark of the Yes, yes, yes. And so you had to take the mark of the beast because there was one world government with one world leader who said he was God in flesh, who was using one world currency to oppress people who wouldn't call him God. <laughs> Next slide. So the followers of Christ were conflicted about this. You have two questions. One, do we offend Jesus by offering the honor to Caesar and the gods? Or, and you could sort of understand this point of view, since the gods aren't real, can we just do it as an empty gesture so that we could live. So there was a group of people that said, look, we've got to be able to live and not be in poverty. So God, G Jesus won't care if we do this because it's just an empty gesture. Those people are called the Nicolaitans. Then there was another group of people that says, no, we're not participating in this. So we got to talk about two characters before we read the letter. And trust me, this is all going to come back up in the letter. So to rule the world, you got to have two things. You got to have a political leader and you got to have a religious leader. You can't just rule with one. So let's talk about the political leader for a second. Next slide. The political leader was a guy named Domitian. Now, Domitian loved Ephesus. Why? Because nothing was lying in his pocket like Ephesus. Any thought that you've ever heard that the Caesars were torturing Ephesus? No, they were not. Caesar needed Ephesus to win. Why? Because when you build a toll road on the mercantilism highway of the whole world, if you get a penny off every transaction in the whole world, you are enriching yourself off of one city's thing. And so the Ephesians then built a temple to Domitian in order to get more government benefits, sort of like you scratch my back, I'll scratch yours. It was corruption at the highest level, and it actually oppressed a whole lot of people, actually most people. In the Roman Empire, there was a nine-layered class system. And if you weren't class one or two, God help you, because the first two classes were the only ones benefiting from this system. Next slide. 
So Domitian demanded people call him my Lord and my God, right? Uh, actually, historians have found letters written by his wife uh, that, that, that where he demanded you address me as Lord and God, right? Winner, right? The temple's architecture was built to show that Domitian's lordship was supported by the gods. Here's what he did. Outside of Ephesus and the Agora was a, a pantheon of the gods. It was outdoor. What he did was he put a roof over the top of the pantheon of the gods, and then on top of the roof, he put a 28-foot-high statue of himself. And he said, see, not only am I the king of kings, I'm obviously the lord of lords. And if I wasn't the god of all gods, those gods would have stopped me. The whole world bought it, except for some marginalized groups of people, namely the Jews who thought they were just statues to begin with. So can you imagine a temple dedicated to even the gods support me? So there's this 28-foot-high 28 statue of Domitian's extended arms. So they called him the beast who comes from land and sea. Next slide. The reason is, is because whether you're coming by land or coming by sea, the first thing you would see is Domitian. So Domitian's temple dominated the skyline, a height of 50 foot with Domitian's statue on top of it. I get it to us, it's like 50 foot, which was 78 foot high. That's sort of a small building today, but not back then. Back then, 78 foot coming in from the sea, and you would see Domitian like this. This was a dominant sort of thing. Domitian ran into a problem. Next slide. Domitian had a son die at the age of 10. This sort of harmed his God claims, right? Domitian claimed to be God in flesh. As a matter of fact, the Roman historian Virgil said that in the fullness of God incarnate was found Caesar and no other name on earth by which men can be saved other than the name of Caesar. Does that sound familiar? Domitian has a son die. The problem with this is, is that if you can't even keep your 10-year-old son alive, that means you're probably not God. This hurt his God claims, right? So Domitian had to get out in front of this. So what he did was he created a narrative. And the narrative was is, I've spoke to the gods of the sky, and the gods of the sky need my son's help. He, they need his help holding the seven stars in place so that the world doesn't, doesn't go out of control, right? And so, again, how do you get that message from Spain to India? There's no electricity. There's no printing press. Town criers are highly unreliable. There's no internet. There's no social media. You have to get the message some way. And so the way they did it in the Roman Empire was if it was a real message from the government, they would put it on the money, and the money would make it away, make its way around the empire through the Agora. And so your job in North Lakes, if we lived in the Roman Empire, was if you got a new coin, you had to call the whole town together and go, we've got a message from the government. That's how slow news moved back then, right? And see, so back then, you, always, you would hear rumors of wars, and you would hear about wars, but you didn't know what was true and what was not, because back then, there was no technology, and so you had to wonder what was real news and what was fake news. Now, because we're so far advanced today, we don't worry about that at all. But back then, you had to wait on the coin to come out before you knew. So here's the coin. This is the, this is the tail side of the coin. The head side of the coin is Domitian. Um, that is Domitian's son uh, sitting on top of the world. And if you count the stars he's juggling, there are seven of them. If you start at about 11 o'clock over there and go around, in Latin it says Domitian, God our Savior. So Domitian is God our Savior. So if Domitian's God, then Domitian's son is the son of God, and the son of God is holding the seven stars in place. That's why he died. That's Domitian. Now we need to talk about Artemis. Next slide. So Artemis was the main goddess of the region. So there was 14 different temples to different gods, but the main goddess was Artemis. Artemis was known as Kibola or Diana. There was 127 marble pillars going around her temple to show that she was being held up. Next slide, and this is what gets really important. 
The temple of Artemis functioned as the bank. It controlled who got financing. So Artemis was a goddess that controlled three things, finance, fertility, and food. Now, that is cornering the market on a big swath of what's important to people, right? So if you, and I I don't want to be gross in any way, but I do want to be historically accurate, right? So whatever my language comes out as, make it 10 times worse than what I'm saying, and you're getting close, okay? So if you wanted a baby, for instance, you would go to the temple of Artemis and ask for the priest's blessing so that you could get pregnant, which, which normally required some sort of ritual of degrading yourself to the glory of Artemis. If you wanted food, you would go to the temple of Artemis and say, we need food and we can't find food. And, and then you would have to do some ritual to where she would then bless you with the ability to find food. And normally that ritual involved degrading yourself with higher class people in purposeful and systemic assault, okay? Everybody reading through what I'm going through there. Or mutilation. Like there was one time in history where these people from Sardis, they couldn't find food. And so they went to the temple of Artemis and said, look, we can't find food. And the priest of Artemis demanded that they said, look, the reason you can't find food is because you haven't given your most prized possession. And as men, our most prized possession is our testicles. So what they did is they demanded a testicular sacrifice. So what they did, 500 men at one time in a religious frenzy castrated themselves and then offered their testicles on the altar to Artemis to say, please, Artemis, give us food. By the way, in 1908, archaeologists found this altar. It is now a tourist attraction in modern-day Turkey. So if you're ever on a tourist tour in modern-day Turkey and you see the altar to Artemis, don't sit on it. It has some (laughs) history. Um, Also, if you needed financing. So let's say Let's say you, you're a farmer and you need some farming equipment, but you can't afford it. You need a loan from the bank. What did you do? You went to the Temple of Artemis and you asked for money to buy equipment to keep your family or your family business alive. Of course, if she controls the financing, she can demand you do anything. A and Z demands you fill out paperwork and have an interview. They demanded that you did rituals that debased yourself with higher class people. This is oppression at a level you can't imagine. I I actually, I have a picture of Artemis. Let me show you a picture. This is, there's Artemis there. There she is. Isn't she something, right? She, I I don't want to be rude in any way, but she obviously is the goddess of food, right? Well, look, let's be honest. Even when they're 3,500 years old and made of stone, a 20-breasted woman is just awesome. That is just awesome. She's also the goddess of the protection of small animals. And I want to make, leave that picture up for a second because I, I want to make a point about this. Paul started a church of Jesus Christ across the road from her. And it thrived. Of course it did. How do you not thrive? Here was Paul's message. Hey, everybody, I serve a God that loves you just because. He'll feed you just because. He'll provide for you just because. And everybody gets to keep all their bits intact. Come with me, right? It's a pretty simple message, Right? goes pretty well. So well, in fact, that they arrest him. How do we know they arrest him? Because it's written in the scriptures. In Acts 19, the people who follow Artemis have him arrested. And remember in Acts 19, what the pagan judge says? He says, what do you want me to do with him? He has not robbed our temple, nor has he blasphemed our goddess not even once. In other words, Paul built a church of Jesus Christ across the road from her And he never said one bad thing about her. Which leads me to this. Could we do that? 
Why has Christianity become less compelling? Because there's a sect of Christianity, not here, Church Unlimited does not do this, but there's a segment of Christianity on the internet that would rather be loud about all the things we're against instead of proclaiming the love of Christ that we're for. Right? So if you've ever, if you've ever sent James Hensley four emails in a row with YouTube links to certain conspiracy theories and you wonder why he finds that uninteresting, it's because he finds that uninteresting. We all find that stuff boring. Why? Because what we're interested in is the love of Christ manifested in people like John, not in all this stuff. The church of Jesus Christ should not be known for the things we're against, even if the things we're against are quite wicked. Can we all agree that's pretty wicked? And, and it's worse than you thought. Next slide. Let, let's, let's talk through this a bit. She was called the, the, the goddess of the hunt. Next slide. Food and finance. The required slogan was, great is Artemis of the Ephesians. So you had to walk around Ephesus saying, great is Artemis. Next slide. Great is Ar Artemis of the Ephesians. Can, next slide. Can you imagine being a lampstand, a representative of Christ in that situation? Like, you know, I, I, I get it. Listen, I get it. God is not done redeeming the world. It's got quite a ways to go. But it's way better than that. Somebody a few weeks ago, a Christian, said, Shane, I don't think it's ever been worse for Christians in the world. <laughs> Look, whatever your problem is with ScoMo, it ain't Nero, right? Hello? Next slide. So Artemis was known as the Lady of Ephesus. And here was the history of Artemis. They said she was born by descending from heaven and landing on the tree of life. So they built her temple on what they said was the site of her landing on the tree of life. And next slide, they called it paradise. The question is, paradise for who? Who's this working for? 98% of the world who falls underneath the categories of class one and two to get food, financing, or fertility, you gotta first go and let a class one or two person degrade you. And whatever you're thinking, it's worse than that. I, I, I'm gonna show you a picture that I'm gonna leave up for a second. Next slide. This is a picture. I'm not gonna tell you what it is for about 10 seconds because I want you to think about it. I'll only tell you where this was. This was the marble slab outside of the back door underneath the temple to Artemis. This was the door, this was the welcome mat outside the back door underneath the temple to Artemis. Now I want you to just look at that and ask the question, what do you reckon that is? Just think about it for a second. I know you got a bunch of little things there, but you got two obvious things. You have a foot and you have a hole. What's going on there? Have you ever been to Disney World or Dream World or Movie World and you're going to get on a roller coaster? There's always a character or a measuring tape saying you must be this tall to ride this ride. That's what that was. In order to participate in the debasement of the temple to Artemis, your foot had to be bigger than that foot and you had to have a coin to go in that hole. In other words, if you're old enough and you can afford it, you can debase people here. That is what, that's a level of wickedness unknown in Australia. Listen, whatever the worst thing going on in Brisbane is right now, it's Nickelodeon compared to that. 
This was a group of people who controlled the financing and the food, forcing people who were hungry and broke to debase themselves underneath the temple in order to get basic needs like food and finance. Can you see how the movement of Jesus Christ took off so quickly in a situation like that? Now, that is my best effort telling the geopolitical, social, and political history of Ephesus. Let's see if this makes the letter come to life a bit. Next slide. To the angel of the church in, in Ephesus, write this. These are the words of him who holds the seven stars in his right hand and walks amongst the seven. In other words, in other words, Domitian's son isn't holding things in place. Uh, this isn't in your face. This isn't just something to read over. This is an in-your-face confrontation to what these people were held hostage to. I know your deeds. Here's his commendations. Your hard work. Your perseverance. I know that you cannot tolerate wicked people. Let's define that because words don't matter. How we picture words working matters. And a lot of times people see the word wicked and they translate that anything I don't like. So anything I don't like is wicked, right? It's called projectionism. We say God, Jesus, Bible, but what we mean is a giant version of what we like. And anything that's not what we like, it ain't that we don't like it. God doesn't like it, so you better take it. Like if you've, ever, if you've ever tried to lead worship, you've experienced this. People giving their heart out up here, leading worship, largely volunteers, only to get accosted by one person in the foyer who says, I don't know what was wrong with you today. God wasn't in the song. God wasn't in the song. Just say what you mean. I don't like the song. That's fair enough. You don't have to like what everybody likes, but if I don't like it, God doesn't like it. So if you're going to take it up with me, you better take it up with God because I'm just speaking for God, right? So, so we, just, we just call anything we don't like wicked. Like none of us liked wearing masks, but it's hardly wicked. Somebody says, oh, this wicked oppression. They're asking me to put a thin piece of cloth over my face. This is like the oppression of Nero. No. No, it's not. Not even close. If you got caught practicing Christianity under the rule of Nero, he had Roman soldiers hold you down. They would take a stick and they would stick it into your rectum until you died. It's called impalement. Then they would plant you and the thing would come through your mouth. Then they would cover you in tar, set you on fire, and use you as a human candlestick to keep his backyard alight. Again, whatever your problem is with ScoMo, it ain't Nero. They tolerated no wickedness in this situation is. If it means we go broke, we are not degrading people less class than us at the temple. Hey, if it means we die, we are not participating in the systemic assault of underclass people at that place. That's what wickedness was then. That you have tested those who claim to be apostles, but they're not. You found them false. You've persevered and have endured hardships for my name and have not grown weary. Sounds like these people are doing pretty well, considering their situation. Yet this I have against you. In other words, keep doing this, but you got to cut this stuff out over here. Yet this I have against you. You have forsaken the love you had at first. In other words, all of this over here, you forsook your commitment to love. Now, let's be fair to these people for a second, right? If you lived in that every single day at your own expense, going broke, being oppressed, you might become cynical, and you might cross the line between calling that practice wicked and our commitment to love people trying to get out of that practice, right? And so these people had become cynical. Consider how far you've fallen. What's the context of this? 
It's that they lost their commitment to love. Repent and do things you did at first. If you do not repent, I'll come to you and remove your lampstand from its place. In other words, you'll, you'll cease to be light in the world. If you, who cares if you're right about everything if you're not known for your love? But you have this in your favor. You also hate the practices of the Nicolaitans, which I also hate. The Nicolaitans were the ones who just did the things in order to uh, keep their lifestyle. Whoever has ears, let them hear what the Spirit says to the church. To the one who is victorious, I will give the right to eat from the tree of life, which is in the paradise of God. Do you see why he doesn't use that language anywhere else? This is about Artemis. This is like, wait a minute, tree of life? For who? Paradise? For who? Look that belief system matters less than what that belief system produces. And what that belief system produces is oppression for most everybody. Paradise? Take a look. Paradise for who? It's degrading most people. Now, if you're a linear learner, you sort of got lost in some of that because I did most of that as a narrative. So I did this linear thought for you. Next slide. So this is a massive confrontation to the claim of Caesar. Jesus is saying Domitian's not the center of the universe as he claims. Next slide that Jesus walks amongst the lampstands, as opposed to Caesar, who is separate and supreme. Jesus is humble and walks amongst the church, the broken stories. So where does the church go from here? I'm gonna put some language now, given that as the context, because when you open scripture, you gotta ask what happened, which is what I just did. And then you gotta say, wait a minute, what's happening in me right now because of it? And so I want to talk about that. Where does the church go from here? Next slide. Uh, church Unlimited will be a church of hard work. He honors them for their hard work. They're not slothful. This is not the season to do a soft re-entry back into normal life. This is a season to put the throttle to the ground. I don't want to bore you with the details of this, but social anthropologists are telling us the pattern around what happens in global tragedies, right? And the pattern is, is once it starts to wane off, you have a three-year rush back to being regrounded in spirituality. This isn't just true for Christianity. It's true for Islam. It's true for Judaism. It's true for whatever. Whatever someone grew up with, there's going to be a rush back to reground themselves in spirituality, which means Church Unlimited and the church at large has a three-year window to get after it with a momentum that you won't see again for another hundred years. This is our opportunity. God has gifted all of us with the gift of his breath. In other words, today we have 24 hours of the gift of God's breath. The question is, is what are we gonna do with that breath? What are we gonna do with that gift? And there's two ways, there's two things you could do. You can hallow the gift of his breath by saying yes to the infinite possibilities God has for us to bring heaven to every place we see hell here. Or we can profane the gift of God's breath, treating it as if it's common. There's a way that we could do nothing wrong, but if we're doing nothing at all, that's actually worse, right? Like, come on. That, that Church Unlimited is a church that postures itself to the yes response, not the no response. It postures itself to saying yes to the next thing because we know because of resurrection, nothing is wasted. If it works, great. If it doesn't work, we'll learn from it. But we're not gonna waste our time not engaging in all the possibilities we have to do good in our community. He commends them for their hard work. And I would say, where does the church go from here? Back to hard work. COVID gave us enough relaxation time. Actually, COVID exposed this Australian ideal of just sitting around doing nothing, right? 
So, like, like all you get, read the ads. You get on a Qantas plane from America to here, all the ads tell you what's important. Like, can you wait until you have enough money to just get in a camper and go around, sit around Australia and do nothing? That's the Australian ideal. People love it. Like, when can we relax? When can we just do nothing? Then COVID forced us all to relax, stay home, do nothing. And guess what? We hated it, right? Right? This is a moment where we can go, wait a minute, we can get back after it. No, number two, he commends them for their per perseverance. Can you imagine the constant pressure of the imperial and Artemis cult? Can you imagine, hey, you want to eat today? Allow yourself to be debased over here or participate in the debate. No, what? like he commends them for their perseverance. Church Unlimited will be a place of grit. It'll be a place of passion and perseverance. It'll be a place where we don't avoid obstacles. We go right through them with our head up, our shoulders back, our hands clean, our heart pure, and our taste sweet. We are a hardworking, persevering group, group of people. Next slide. They had no toleration for wickedness. They have nothing to do with the Artemis cult and the sexual assault and oppression going on there. And, and, I, and, and look, I don't know... I mean, obviously, some really bad things happen in today's world, but they are illegal, and if people get caught, they're going to go to jail. Um, but but we are, we're not, in, in it, I think for today it would be, we're not participating in systemic oppression. We're not, if we, and if we see systemic oppression, we're going to do everything we could do to make that thing right. This is, this is my friend Craig Tompkinson in, in Mackay giving, I don't know, $200,000 to Burma to try to help the people there get food and basic necessities. This is whatever your missions program is here. This is, we are participating in the infinite possibilities. We are not, in other words, let's say it this way. We are not sitting on our butt waiting to go to heaven when we die. We are committed to doing everything we can do to bring heaven to every place we see hell here. Next slide. They upheld true apostleship. I don't want to get into this too much, but there was a debate in the first century about whether Jesus had skin on or not. And the people who were engaging in that debate, they really weren't trying to hurt Jesus. They, they were trying to go, he was just so awesome. He probably, he, he was probably just a, a 33 year spiritual apparition, right? Because no one could really be that nice to his enemies, right? No one could really, like, who could really act like that? And the reason it's really important that we remember that Jesus was also a man is because if we don't remember he was a man, it's very easy to rationalize not living how he taught us to live. Like if I said, hey, hey, come on, man, Jesus taught us to treat our enemies better than that. You could go, yeah, but that was easy for him. He was God. Yeah, but he was also fully man. And so it's very, so in other words, at Church Unlimited, we, we fully affirm the divinity of Christ, but we also affirm that he was a human being showing us the best way to live here now today. That our exercise is not simply going to heaven. Our exercise is allowing heaven to be established in us now so that when we do go to heaven, we don't get whiplash. What is Church Unlimited? Church Unlimited is, is not lazy. It's, 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 it's going for it, hard work. It's perseverance. It's, it's, it's resisting wickedness. It's, it's actually upholding the divinity and humanity of Christ. And, and they endured hardship without growing weary. Uh, another, uh, just another way to say perseverance. Grit, determination. Okay, we hit a bump, so let's go. Let's go. We're going to sit there in that bump for how long? Let's go. But here's what he had against them. Next slide. They forsook their commitment to love. And this is where I see all the Australian church and the American church right smack dab in the middle of this. Next slide. Their biggest strength, orthodoxy, exposing wickedness, calling out lies, became their biggest weakness. How? Next slide. They became a church of loveless orthodoxy. They became a church 
that would rather be known for their doctrinal distinctive than their extravagant love. And listen, I'm going to just tell you now, because I know your pastors, and I know the staff, and if, if, if I'm wrong, they have every right to correct me. And if I'm wrong, I'm just honestly wrong. But I can tell you this. If you would rather be known for deep doctrines, listing them out, if you'd rather be known for what you believe than how you live, or if you'd rather be known for your doctrinal distinctive than your extravagant love, you're likely going to find it hard here. You're going to be the person who sends the email that never gets answered about some obscure verse in Leviticus, and you're wondering why they don't find that interesting. Here's why they don't find that interesting. Because this church would rather see the Spirit of Christ impact John than they would try to delve into the nine views of Leviticus 16. They would just rather do that. And it's not, it's not that we shouldn't discuss these things. But when those things trump love, last time I was here, I talked about being a well-based place, not a fence-based place. And I don't expect any of you to remember it, but this is part of being a well-based place instead of a fence-based place. Doctrinal distinctives normally create fences. We're about wells, which is love. This is um, John. By the way, same guy that wrote Revelation. Next slide. Anyone who claims to be in the light but hates a brother or sister is still in darkness. But I said the sinner's prayer and asked Jesus, yeah, I know, but, but if, you, if you claim to be in the light and you still, and your encounter with Christ hasn't created some sort of more loving person, there's something missing here. Anyone who loves their brother and sister lives in the light and there's nothing in them to make them stumble. Now, great sermons are not meant to be agreed with, nor disagreed with. They're meant to be wrestled with for how do I live after this? So let's, let's, let's ask a few questions about what kind of church we're trying to build, and which ultimately comes down to a question, what kind of person am I becoming? Because the church is just a conglomeration of all the types of people we're becoming, right? Ne next slide. Can we proclaim the truth while protecting love at all costs? That's the question. And that's what Church Unlimited seeks to do, is to proclaim the truth while protecting love, honoring people's journeys, understanding that God met all of us wherever we were and then lovingly moved us forward, right? Let's say it this way, next slide. We also learn in this passage that sacred objects don't work. Anything outside of us never delivers what it promises. Let's say it this way, next slide. The true tree of life is found in the center of Christ and his lampstand, a people of love. You know where the true tree of life is? It's in a place where a broken person can walk in off the street, have a cup of coffee, ask for prayer, and know he's had an encounter with the risen Christ without feeling shame. That's the tree of life. That's, that's why, if you ever wonder why, why hasn't James got to my seventh YouTube clip I sent him about the end times? It's because he finds that boring. The reason he finds that boring is because it is boring. What is interesting is John. It's Paige. It's people encountering a lampstand, a people of love that creates paradise for everybody. Let, let's say it this way. Next slide. Have we lost our passion for being loving at the altar of belief? Or especially preference? Most of what we think is important is just what we like. And we tend to draw lines on everything. Hey, this is a must. Is it? Is it really a must? Let's think about that for a second. Probably not. It's probably just our preference. Let, let's say it this way. Next slide. 
Jesus called us to love our neighbor as ourselves. Here's my question. Have we rationalized that away over what we perceive as right belief or orthodoxy? Where have we justified not loving somebody because they don't think the same way we do? It's like, hello. Look, if an outsider sees us in discussion, the Christ that holds us all together should be glorified more than we need to be right about something, right? Let's say it this way, next slide. Have we put our faith in anything external? And has it ever truly delivered? Let, let's say it this way, next slide. Jesus' message to the church at Ephesus was that we should discuss doctrine, but defend love at all costs. And you might say, Shane, this is all well and good. This sounds a little airy-fairy, actually. Where do, you, where do you draw the line then? Like, do beliefs ever matter? Like, where do you draw? Hey, you're going to tell us right now, or this is going to be pretty bad. Like, where do you draw the line? I get asked that all the time. You know, I, I did the Seventh Day Adventist National Conference. I did a Baptist National Conference. I did a Catholic citywide thing. I've, I've done, I've spoke for places I had to wear robes. I've done the AOG State Conference. And some people see that as a good thing. Some people see that as, oh, Shane just doesn't believe in anything. He just goes wherever he wants. And then, right? Right? So, so where, where, where does, where does Shane draw the line? Where does Church Unlimited draw the line? I'm glad you asked. <laughs> this is John. Again, same guy that wrote Revelation. Here he is, 1 John 3, next slide. Beloved, if our hearts do not condemn us, we have confidence before God and receive from him any, and receive from, and, and whatever we ask, we receive from him because we keep his commandments. Again, now, words don't matter. How we picture words working matters. So when I say keep the commands, most Western people picture obeying everything. The problem with that is, is that the first two chapters of 1 John, he spends going, no one obeys all the commands, and anyone who tells you they do, they're lying. And the truth is not in them. So he spends two chapters going, no one obeys all the commands. But then he seems to go, wait a minute, the only way we have confidence for God and receive from what we ask is because we keep his commands. What's he talking about? The word keep there is not the word obey. So words don't matter. How we picture words working matters. The word keep there is an ancient Greek word that means a castle keep. It's a place where you would put children in the vulnerable in time of attack. It's a place of final protection. Um, we use that word all the time um, in that way. Uh, a friend here has a baby. If, if an emergency happened, she might hand me the baby and say, I'll be right back, I'll be right back. Keep, keep her for a second, right? That doesn't, if she asked me to keep her child, that doesn't mean obey the child. That means protect the child. I'm an ice hockey fan. I love it. And in, in NHL ice hockey, the most important player is the goalie. And they're called what? A goal? Yeah, that doesn't mean obey the goal. It means protect the goal. In soccer, they call it a net minder. Same word as child minding. Keeping something. The Bible uses it that way all the time. Keep your heart with all diligence. What does that mean? Does that mean obey your heart? No. It means protect it. Guard it. Hey, put your last, where does, church, where does church unlimited draw the line? At the command. Now the question is, what command is he talking about? N next slide. And this is his command, that we should believe in the name of Jesus and love one another. Where does church unlimited draw the line? Belief in Jesus and love for one another. Where does Shane Willard draw the line? Belief in Jesus and love for one another. But Shane, why haven't we talked about 
vaccine policy, uh, belief in Jesus, love for one another. But Shane, they disagree with us on end times. Yeah, yeah. But belief in Jesus, love for one another. But Shane, they have a different thought about Noah's Ark than I do. Yeah, okay. But, but belief in Jesus, love for one We should be able to discuss those things without shaming, discuss doctrine, but defend love, keep love. Where does Church Unlimited draw the line? Belief in Jesus and love for one another. Why? Because John matters. Paige matters. Can't remember the other guy's names, but they. But that's okay. They, they, they all matter. That because you want to be a place where someone can walk in from the mechanic shop. The mechanics take it too long to fix the car. You want to be the place someone can walk in from the mechanic shop and have an encounter without having to think, before I can have an encounter, I got to agree with everything these people say. They might not understand it. That's okay. So if, somebody, if a stranger walks in off the, the street and says, well, where do you guys draw the line for me to be able to come in here? Well, you can come in here anytime you want, but where we draw the line in terms of where our line is, we believe in Jesus and, and we're committed to loving our community. What else? The end. Belief. But will you discuss this other stuff? Sure, we'll discuss it. But we'll never discontinue relations. Like we, belief in Jesus, love for one another. Now he, next slide, now he who keeps his command. What's the command? Belief in Jesus and love for one another. Abides in him and he in him. And by this we know he abides in us by the spirit he's given us. Why is Church Unlimited exploding? Because of their belief in Jesus and their love for a community. Don't ever, ever get distracted in tangential stupidity. Some of these things need to be discussed, fine, but never, ever make it the main thing. The main thing is belief in Jesus and love for one another, which leads me to this question. Next slide. Is there any person that I need to rebuild the loving connection with despite a difference of opinion? Is there anybody that I've divided relationship over, over anything other than belief in Jesus and love for one another. But Shane, they disagree with me. Yeah, yeah. That's wicked. No, probably not. It's just preference. Belief in Jesus and love for one another. So my brothers and sisters of Church Unlimited, may you continue to become the church God has called you to be. May you keep the main thing the main thing. Belief in Jesus and love for one another. Leave all the tangential nonsense somewhere else and get about the main thing because those people matter and that person matters. And if the world sees us in discussion, may the Christ that holds us all together be glorified, then we need to be right about something. I hope Jesus got bigger for you today. The cross worked better. The resurrection is central. Scriptures got bigger, not smaller. Grace and peace, everybody. Thanks for joining us. We hope that you enjoyed this message. We pray that you and your family are richly blessed by the love and grace of Jesus. If you're ever in the area, we would love for you to join us for Sunday worship.